0: Sasha Plavsik is the founder of Ilya, the global beauty brand combining makeup and skincare using innovative formulas that are safe, effective and uncomplicated. Stay tuned as we discuss Sasha's journey behind the go-to brand for beauty lovers everywhere. Hi everyone, welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs who built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other. It can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So, if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. Now, without further ado, it's like to welcome our guest for today, Sasha Plavsik. Considered a pioneer of skincare powered makeup, Sasha founded Ilya with a mission to protect and revive the skin. With roots in organic ingredients and an awareness of homeopathic remedies her mother had used on her brother, now her business partner, Sasha has created each product to ensure that it performs in function. Ilya will soon be celebrating its 13th anniversary, and I love that Sasha has challenged the status quo from the start with a belief in clean beauty. It's now a common term in the industry, and Ilya is truly at the top of the game with some of the best-in-class makeup formulations that are, at their core, skincare. I cannot wait to sit down with Sasha today and discuss her philosophy on waking up the skin and making up the rest, her sustainability efforts, and what's next for Ilya. So Sasha, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, you know, I asked all my guests this same question. I'm very curious to hear your answer. Who, in a
1: nutshell, is Sasha? Oh, who in a nutshell is Sasha? Um, well, I think just like time, you know, that goes along, nothing ever stays the same. So I think Sasha is a ever-evolving human being who is learning a lot about herself, even in middle age. <laughs> I think the older I get, the less I actually know uh, who I am. But overall, I've been told by other people that I'm pragmatic and direct and empathetic actually. Those were three words used to describe me. So it's tough to kind of see yourself a certain way when someone describes you, but that's how I've been told I am.
0: Amazing. Well, I kind of want to start at the beginning. Um, many people know Fable in Maine was rooted from our my childhood memories, me and my sister. And uh, I'm curious to know some of your childhood memories of beauty growing
1: up. Absolutely. I think um, those ones are the most impactful. I'm curious to hear about some of yours as as well, just because I think they really shape how we see beauty as a whole. And I think many memories actually from early childhood can kind of shape how we see things in life. But in beauty, I do remember my mom having beautiful red nails all the time, and she drove a Saab, a, a stick shift, And I remember she had these gold bangles that would always dangle. And with those beautiful red nails, she had beautiful red lipstick that came in a beautiful Clinique case. And that case from Clinique is very iconic. Most of us remember it if we were, you know, in the 80s or 90s, which kind of had the silver rings. I think they still have the same one today, which is amazing. Yeah, I remember her not using a lot of makeup, but she would use the right pieces of makeup, like a nice kind of barren face with a little bit of eyeliner and a red lip, you know, brows that were brushed up with, you know, with something else just subtly paired with it in a way that made her look very fresh and natural. So to me, I think there was a big inspiration behind that, trying to capture that feeling in a bottle and put it towards Ilya.
0: I love that. I mean, I mean, I can actually very much relate to bangle sounds you know a lot of south (laughs) asians with the gold bangles and um actually for me it was kind of those memories of um getting that indian head massage with this very strong potent oils didn't smell very good but you knew they were good for your hair and just massaging them but it's funny because always there'll be bangles on my um, grandma's hands and then um and then I would hear them being like that's a sound I would hear right by my ear so actually it's it's so funny you said that because I've told this story so many times of my childhood memories but I've never once mentioned the bangles and you've actually just reminded me and unlocked that memory of the sound because I forget about the sound during these rituals so that's actually yeah first time in three years I've actually thought about that so there we go. the yeah, nuance in that. between there you go exactly You're, you have to think of the whole experience but um one thing I, I wanted to talk about a bit was um because I can relate to it as, as a child um with a bit of asthma and allergies I mean still today with hay fever and stuff so going to homeopathic remedies was pretty much like the thing my mom used to go and find for me. Um, So I know you have that similar upbringing. So can you tell us about it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, well, I think South Asian remedies and specifically are probably some of the best out there uh, or even across Asia as a whole. My brother was born when I was four and he had a lot of allergies that came about roughly from three to six months, whereby uh, asthma came out, um, dust allergies, uh, a bunch of issues that were so severe that the asthma was exacerbated by almost anything. And he needed to spend a lot of time in the hospital to a point where they more or less wanted him living in the hospital for, I don't know, an indefinite amount of time. And because it was so hard to manage from, from home. And so, you know, my mom went around and took out the carpets and, replaced the window coverings or just removed them completely, uh, changed all the food in the house, cleaning products, and started seeing uh, naturopathic and homeopathic doctors. And it was through that that there was, I would say, of anything, an awareness to uh, the products that we were consuming or using or having around us from a very young age, which was not as easily accepted or widely accepted or even encouraged as it is today. You know, if you said, oh, I'm not going to eat, you know, these cheese slices anymore, people would say, why? And today you would think, oh, yeah, why would you want to eat that? But back then, you know, there just wasn't really a lot of questions around what we were being sold or given. And I think um, she questioned that early because she didn't have a choice. It was really uh, truly like a life or death situation at times with her youngest kid. So uh, she had every right to question it and start to find her way through it.
0: Yeah. And and naturally, I I read somewhere Zach was healed um, through like a lot of diet and stuff and then went on to do Olympics or something.
1: Is this true? He did. He did. Yeah, no, he, he totally, he, I mean, he was a really picky eater on top of it. My poor mom, I think she gave him like, he'd eat certain vegetables, but very few, you know, he would eat fatty things like bacon and goat's milk and Somehow he got the nourishment and was and then just through trial and error and I think also age like a lot of kids if you had asthma when you were younger sometimes it's most often people will grow out of it or we'll get to a level where it's less yeah you just kind of grow out of it so um, I think for him it was so severe and then in roughly in his team it started to taper off and. Um, and then he was able to go to the Olympics in Beijing and in London for windsurfing for Canada.
0: That's insane. That's so cool. I mean, uh, that's a story in itself. I think one day, uh, if I widen my, uh, well, you can come in the podcast one day too, but uh, that's a story in itself. But um, one thing I wanted to ask you, which I was so interested in, is, is you came to London um, at one point to study typography and that was, that's exciting. So tell us a bit about sort of how you landed into this kind of initial field first that you were interested in.
1: Yeah, I think um, in high school, I was definitely more of a creative. And even when I was younger, um, it wasn't encouraged where I went to school. I went to a public school and it was very much focused on math, 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 some science, uh, some literature. uh, But ultimately, I think, you know, I grew up in Canada and Vancouver and it's very much focused on the professions and yeah. I would even say still is, and they're quite yeah. far behind. I think the world has changed so much and my young children are at school and I yeah. think, oh my goodness. like
0: Also in Vancouver, there's a lot of Asians, so you can expect a lot of math. I can tell you that much. for so. <laughs> so,
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I do think, um, you know, my classes were roughly 50%. Some of the schools are 60 to 90 even. Mm. And, um, and there is, The the great thing about that is it can really push the rest of the students along. Um, That being said, I think it's also important to recognize that not everybody, you know, is meant to necessarily be excellent in classic studies such as, yeah, Yeah. some of these professions in math. Um, So with that, I... You know, I delved into the arts. I I stayed. I spent a lot of time in the photography rooms, back when you would still develop film. And I did a lot of graphic design. And it was through that that I really found a passion. I ended up doing a multimedia pro- media program uh, a couple of years after I graduated high school. I worked in the web uh, okay. dot com boom, which was just before nine eleven and had a great job making great pay in my early 20s and then 9/11 happened and everything started to change and it was at that point in time you know my dad had retired he he didn't really have money to help me go to school earlier and then he did and he said hey you know i, I i'm in this fortunate position now where i can you know help pay for some of your studies i know you wanted to go to the states and i wanted to go to new york city specifically and he said i can't afford that but if you go to London because you're Canadian, you know, you can we can get you into school. And tuition, I think, was actually like 13000 a year, which really isn't a lot yeah. in comparison to like the U.S. where it could be forty grand a year. So in London it was. And we went over there and checked it out. I've always loved London. I loved Europe. I loved that I could go see a friend in Paris or go somewhere else. Um, and I was able to get into the London College of Printing. That was the name at the time at Elephant and Castle and study typography. So specifically an area that was focused um, on print and image and text in graphic arts.
0: That's, I know then you had like, I guess, following from this, uh, a great career as a graphic designer, visual director. um, And then ultimately, you know, that inspiration landed to, to create your own brand. Maybe you could like just summarize a bit about that journey leading to 2011.
1: Yeah, I think you know I I didn't realize, but and it's really important to to point out there is a great distinction between the art schools in Europe and the art schools in North America. The art schools in North America are much more program driven, and the art schools in Europe are much more open mind driven. I would say there's an open mindedness to solving a problem, thinking about it creatively, thinking outside the box, and that was really the schooling that I had. It, and, and I think from there, there's also a big uh, writing component to the degree. So being able to communicate well, write well, understanding the, the, the fundamentals of design, that really set me up for, um, a, you know, a great career path that was in London, a little bit in New York, and then also in Southern California. Um, from there, I think everything that I learned, I worked with a lot of founders and was doing a lot of rebrands. So that became my specialty in the end was working with founders, working on a rebrand. I think there came a point where I saw all these founders do these amazing things. And I thought it was really cool. I, I thought to myself, wow, they're doing something that maybe I could do, or how did they do this? And yeah, anyway, and maybe in my the back of my mind, I thought, um, I'd like to try something like this. And See if it works out. So, if anything, it was almost like a project or a desire to see if I could just create an idea um, and see where it goes. Because that's how many of the like everybody starts that way, right? When you're starting a business, it's like one moment where you have an idea and then it just goes. So, that was really the the I think the moment that uh, I said, "Let's give it a go."
0: And I, th- I think it's about not putting too much pressure when you seed an idea. It's like you know, a seed can't be overnight the 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 plant or the tree or flower it is so you have to like I love what you're saying Ilya little by little right you gotta like keep on watering it see how it how it grows sometimes it could grow really quickly overnight you're like whoa what the hell is this uh, and then other times it takes slower and it's always gonna be like that on the journey you can't have a consistent path um, and I'm sure today looking at what Ilia is you would never have imagined that in you know many years ago. So.
1: No, I would never have imagined it. It's funny. We, we've had off sites, you know, where I'm looking at uh, roughly 120 people that are in the company now. And, um, I would have, when people say, do you have, I think somebody asked me to have imposter syndo- syndrome syndrome mm-hmm. and imposter syndrome essentially means that you don't deserve it. I don't believe that. I actually just mm-hmm. can't believe it. I can't yeah. believe that, you know, something was able to grow out of one neuron firing in my brain, yeah. uh, yeah. and then just step after step after step. And, and there were some good choices, there were some bad choices, there was some great timing uh, yeah. on our part with the brand and on my part in being ahead, first and mm. best dressed, so to speak, in our category, which I think really gave us an edge um, and an upper hand. But yeah, I think um, there was no, I'm going to create a company, I'm going to go get it funded, and I'm going to go sell it. That was never the long-term goal. It started so innocently back in 2009. Yeah. The initial idea that I, I think that innocence really helped bring it to the success that it is today.
0: That innocence and um, way of thinking is so timeless. I, I sometimes get a bit sad, not, say, not saying that there's a right and wrong way to grow a business, right? But I see today so many businesses purely built to get funded, sell in two, three years, and then move on. And again, I'm not here to judge, There's every, every founder has their own way of how they want to grow a company and do it. That's absolutely fine. But I do think that spark comes from little by little, see how it goes, kind of like keep it curious, keep it open. I, I find it also, it's quite sad on the founder to be thinking, okay, I have to create this to sell it. My, my, my business plan is eventually with an end. You know, It's so hard to then dream when you have an end right? Ahead of you. So I do kind of encourage founders out there thinking of creating a brand as I know today in this society, VCs and everyone, the first question they'll ask is if I'm going to put money, when are you going to exit? Right. But we have to go back to that kind of innate business entrepreneurship nature of ourselves or like, you shouldn't build something with the end already in the plan. In my, in my opinion, again, might be wrong.
1: No, I think that that's, that's a great way of saying it. I mean, like it's, people always say it's about the journey and I used Mm. to think God, don't say that to me, you know, but but it really, it really when I look back on it now, it is about the journey, you know, and it and it is in those moments. And um, and then you do need a plan to ask yourself, not necessarily I want to exit and I want to make this much money. It's more what do you what do you want in your life? You know, and I've actually like, do what do you want later? You know, do you wanna live next to the ocean? Do you want to live in a city? Do you wanna have a family? Do you if you have a family, where do you want you to raise your family? And what are the things that you want? And it's been a real a reckoning for me in the last couple of years because we did have an exit. We did have a sale. Mm. I have had like, I, I've been so fortunate and there were many years that I was not, but it's really interesting looking back on it all because I actually really miss the years yeah. that I struggled. I miss the days that were more simple. Yep. Um, not just in my work, but also in my personal life, uh, there was a simplicity before. And, um, yeah, I think the more you have, or the more you can have, uh, does not make for necessarily a happier life. I think it actually just creates a lot of noise and distraction from the things that matter.
0: And I think actually there's some science that eventually proves that we can see this with wealth, right? The more wealth you have, the more technically what people don't see is the more, um, sadness can come and there's actually science involved in this. And that's why you see a lot of wealthier people wanting to give it back because it's, it's like a cycle. So I think you have to always on this journey that you do is constantly check in with yourself and be like, am I happy? Right. Just what makes me happy? Um, And then making a decision. So maybe even now, three years in, I, I am having those conversations in the team where I'm like, okay, actually in the business plan, we do need to consider an eventual raise or exit because, I you know I need to consider the decisions I make today will be needing to decide if I can be the one to to lead it or not in mm-hmm. time um, it, and, and it is an important thing to do, but ultimately, you know what you just said now made me realize and, and inspired to think about because you didn't think of it in those early moments, you have those memories that no one can take from you, of how it felt, whether you'll ever get it back again, probably not, right things that it's no, it's now a never going to be a three-person company uh Ilya. It, it can't be um but at least you can cherish those memories and find the beauty of today as well but um that's why i think my point was like everyone should just enjoy the moment and check in constantly consistently but don't box yourself to a way so early on on the journey especially before you even start because you won't ever have those memories if you keep it restricted.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I before, I mean, the most important question I've been wanting to ask you, the inspiration behind the name Ilya, such a beautiful name. Yeah. How did you come up with it?
1: I didn't. It's a family name. So, I was lucky in that regard. Um, it was my great-grandfather's gra- name and he was a shoe designer in Belgrade at the turn of last century, so the early 1900s, and he created beautiful shoes across from the opera house. They were great quality, and there was a lot of thoughtfulness uh, in how he would do it, I was told, and I liked that. I really felt like many of those qualities embodied what I wanted to create in a brand, and I always thought if I had a brand, didn't know it was going to be in beauty, that that would be a great name to apply to it. It's also my brother's middle name, and it sounds to me in English phonetically, it's feminine sounding, Ilya, in a way, but it is a masculine Slavic name. So I think um, the combo of something feminine paired with something masculine felt right to me as, as a balance.
0: I, I agree. And actually, it's funny. It's one of those words when you read it, potentially also with your typography, it feels very gender neutral, quite at some forms, even masculine, as you said. And then when you say it, it feels more feminine and it's so beautiful mm-hmm. to have this like instant quick back and forth with the name. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's just, I mean, when I saw it for the first time many years ago, I was like, love the name. It's just so beautiful. I did want to ask you. a question. Probably it's like a random one to kind of put in, in between the podcast, but did you always have this beautiful logo or did you iterate it over the years? Cause it's stunning.
1: Oh, thank it, you. Especially the square. Yeah. Yeah, all the squares yeah it's all sticks you know my dad was an architect so that's what he did for a living and um we helped he helped me kind of do that and i obviously i studied typography we had a thinner logo when we launched back in 2011 so it was the same it was always in caps because if you take the name and you put it in lowercase it's actually not really legible and it's hard to read
0: yeah because you get this confusion with i and l a lot of the time when it's um the l is lower yeah.
1: Yeah. So we had to create a little bit of space between the letters, and then we made it a bit bolder five years ago, roughly, and which really helped the brand. We did a rebrand in 2019, and it made a really big difference. And yeah. Um, yeah, and then we we just we we made it more bold so that it was more visible. And I think um, yeah, every piece of it is actually a stick
0: <laughs> At, uh, or a straight it,
1: line, right? Like the way it goes yeah. together. There's no curves. It's just all sticks. So it's um, yeah. Yeah, very, very architectural. It's
0: so beautiful. I mean, okay, so I have to start first with your first MPD, your first products. What did you launch with?
1: So initially, when the idea was coming about, I was trying to think about what I wanted or what was missing in the industry. And that was back in 2009. And I always loved to wear really bold lip colors at the time. Um, But I felt like some of the colors I was wearing from some amazing brands were drying my lips out. And then I'd have to apply my libello cherry tinted chapstick in in between to, to try and make it feel fresh again. And I felt that there was a need to have a lipstick meets lip balm product that didn't look like you just bought it out of a drugstore. I wanted it to feel a little bit more luxurious and have a nicer case, a case with a click, you know, when you closed it and all these little details that were, um, important to me I wanted it to be made from recycled aluminum if we could do that and started to think about those aspects of sustainability so the first product was six tinted lip conditioners they launched in May 2011 in one little shop in Vancouver and then I used to just walk into other shops and ask them if they would carry them so that was really the beginning of Of the story.
0: That's so cool. And when did Sephora then come into the picture of Ilya?
1: They actually came into the picture in 2012. I moved down back to the U.S. in 2012. I had, I just got my visa. I think it was the day I landed. I had a phone call with one of the merchants there who no no longer is there, but she was there for 10 years. And um, she really is the one who built the whole clean category at Sephora. Her name is Avril Andrews. And I mm. usually give her a shout out because she is one of the reasons so many of the clean brands in makeup specifically are where they are with Sephora today. Mm. Um, and she called and she said, I really like what you're doing. Um, and I said, thank you. I am not funded. I don't really have any money. And I don't really have the experience to know how to launch a Sephora. So Please uh let's keep talking. And and we did. We actually kept talking for five years, which uh-huh. is a long time. But that's I think back in those days, you know, the, the category did not exist. And the category was not ready to exist at that time.
0: No, it's so true. So then your official launch in Sephora was was it around the 2017 mark or 2018? Yeah,
1: I think it was around yep. the 2017 mark. We launched with just uh, a highlighter that honestly doesn't do a lot of business, safe in today. Um, <laughs> and I think it was a couple highlighters and our multi sticks, which are still around. They do well for us. Um, and it was a little test. And it was yeah. very, very slow. It took us a few years to actually even get to a one bay. Um, and we were really one of the first to start experimenting with that in clean. Uh, uh, and come to market for them so we were like the like a guinea pig in some ways
0: that i mean and today i mean i can personally say i'm a huge Ilya fan and lover i mean you've probably heard this hundred times that's so not really like something new but uh i'm sure everyone who's just tried i mean your super serum skin tint is incredible i'm a, I'm a honapoo. Fourteen point five. It's one of them. yeah. Honapu is my shade, um, and I'm encouraging everyone who's listening, just try the Super Serum Skin Tint if you haven't, because there's it's just the best. I can't say it more than that. It's like the oh, best.
1: Oh, thank you. Um,
0: yeah, it's incredible, and um, and also what's really incredible, and I, I follow a lot of um, TikTokers and stuff that talk about this, but your your brand really does have true inclusivity you know, like you see this a lot in within in in you know out there with shades and stuff but I mean I even struggle to find my perfect shade because i you have quite a few perfect shades for me you know you offer so many different undertones whether it's gold warm and I think this is something that um I'm sure Sephora obviously you know they're, they're great business partners and and kind of people to help us but still a lot of brands don't get it right today and you guys are yeah really, really thank you make sure you get noticed for that
1: Thank you. You No, in relation to ensuring that we have a wide range of shades, that was really important to me personally. And even when we had a tinted moisturizer back in 2013, I did go the full spectrum. It was so sheer; it was barely anything. Like the tint was almost nothing, but we did have a full range from very light to something deeper. Um, And it's always been important, you know. I we actually. I don't know if people realize how expensive it is to do complexion. Many brands, if they don't have every shade in the beginning, please don't give them a hard time. I most of them are probably working on it. It's um, it's very. It, it costs a lot to be able to bring complexion to market, and I think one of the things that you learn when you're doing it is they don't necessarily always get it right the first time. So for us, I think we launched twenty shades or eighteen shades in our skin tint, and. Mm-hmm. We then bumped it all the way up to 30. And what we were actually missing was a lot of olive undertones. Uh, we learned that along the way. So an olive could be all light olive or a medium olive or, you know, uh, a medium, medium to deep olive. Um, so there was just things you learn along the way because a customer will say like, oh, you know, I couldn't find it. And I had to mix these two. And then we start to gather the data and then we were able to look at everything really uh, from a bird's eye view and make sure that we were bringing in the best shades um, that would make it uh, accessible for as many people as possible. It is. And also,
0: you know, retail is quite hard as well because I have a lot of friends who've got shades and sometimes they even have the shades. They just have very limited space in store and then they can right. stock X amount of shades. And it's harder for, you know, the ones that have to exist on a shelf as opposed to a bay or an end cap. They have to sometimes have the rest online online. And the rest in store, and and a selection of shades. I, I, I mean, I'm lucky because I'm in hair. I don't necessarily have this issue with a lot of skews. But skew management must be so difficult when it comes to even your smaller retailer stores, right? Because Aliya is not just in Sephora. Um, so yeah, it it's it's a, it is it is you have to like I think consumers have to be a little bit. Um, uh, I guess understanding of how it kind of is the back end operational of of running this business and making it effective because otherwise you don 't want waste and you don 't want to you know not have the right space as well, but it is hard i can 't imagine it so yeah um but one thing I wanted to kind of ask a little bit was about your hero skews, because I love so many of them, but I know. Data is another thing. So, what are some of the top in terms of Ilya's performance?
1: Well, we've already spoken about one of them, and that's our skin yep. tint. So that is the number one. It will alternate, but it is the, one of the number one selling foundations at Sephora, and um, it is our makeup, uh, skincare, and SPF. And that bo- that product was really born back in 2016 when I was bouncing my baby in a bouncer and. I realized I wanted my SPF, my a little bit of makeup, and my skincare in one because the baby was crying. There wasn't a lot of time. I was living in Southern California, and I just thought to myself, why doesn't somebody put this all in one bottle? This is taking too much time. So that was really the inspiration. And not only that, it has to really work. It has to really start changing my skin from the inside out. So also, that, that's it looks like yeah. a
0: baby bottle. Is that kind of also...
1: no you know what and that bottle has become somewhat iconic it ended up in that bottle not by choice it was actually the product because it's a sunscreen it does it it can be volatile and zinc is not a very play-friendly ingredient so we did have a pump on that bottle and it was starting to leak from the pump so we actually um we had to ensure we moved it into a dropper form you know which People say, uh, oh, well, it can get on the rings and stuff because it's a dropper. But at the end of the day, just tighten, make sure you tighten that product if you're closing it. And, um, and it works really well. I find it really easy to apply that way. So that was skin tint as a hero. And then our other big one that launched, I think a couple of years before skin tint was our Limitless Lash Mascara. It is the number one selling mascara at Sephora. And that's a big deal for us. It was number two for a couple of years. Yeah, it's big. And it's not a volumizing mascara. And when we were launching it, they actually didn't want to launch it because they didn't think it would do very well. And I said, no, you guys, like a customer really wants to have lashes that look kind of open and fluttery and not all clumpy and going into the eyes. And so... We were really lucky in knowing that there was a customer out there for that product. And I think that's been half the battle with what we've done is knowing that there's a customer who wants something a certain way uh, that she, may not, she or he may not be able to find. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, between those two, those are really, you know, to have something in complexion when you're in makeup, if you have something in complexion and you have something in eye like a mascara, then we also have another complexion item, which is our multi-stick. Those three are really our our top three heroes. Absolutely.
0: And you can tell, like, I, I, I'm a very... Old, but my favorite also is the blue light mist, which you're going to be like, okay. <laughs> but I just love <laughs> it. I think it's so good. Uh, again, because no one ever... Like, I've never seen that before. Like, I, I wear my blue light... Not now, but I wear my blue light glasses all the time. So I have my routine where i have like, I have your blue light mist. And then I don't even... even i Yeah, fresh. even if I'm not wearing complexion, just put it on. And then I... And then I wear my blue-back glasses. It's great. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very, very cool. Um, all your products are, yeah, I just think the formulas are great. The The fact that it speaks to um, it's a genderless kind of design and uh, most importantly for me, it's clean. And I think that's very, very important and being transparent as well. Um, so I'm curious to know a little bit about what's on the horizon that you can share. It doesn't have to be product-based, but just things you're looking forward to in 2024.
1: Oh my goodness. We have a lot happening in 2024. This year was actually a really light year for us. Um, Mm. we, we grew so fast and we grew so much in 2020 and 2021 and, And, you know, in beauty with your own line, you are generally are working in advance. And I used to work Mm -hmm. like six months in advance and then it was one year in advance. And now we're (laughs) two. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now it's 18 months to two years, sometimes even three years that we're working out on things. And um, so there's a lot that we've been working on for the last couple of years that, uh you know, the year before that, which, so this last year, which would have been two years ago, it's like, we kind of, I'd say, I don't know if we dropped the ball, but it just, there was so much happening personally and professionally that, um, we weren't able to put the same dedication towards product launches. And I can say with confidence next year, we will have, um, many items coming to market and, uh, there'll be a big launch happening in the spring. That's,
0: I also think like, this is, quite important as a point because it normalizes the fact that like moments of like kind of coming in, coming out, like being loud and strong. It's very important in in general, all industries. You look at it in the musician world, right? You don't want to see your favorite singer being number one all the time. It's, you're going to start hating it. You're going to start getting bored of it. And also it's important to have structural changes that need some time to settle in. Um, Like you have to, you know, be flexible to kind of keeping it very agile, ups and downs. And I think actually it helps the business to have some quieter years and then coming back. um, Because also, and also um, I kind of curb your growth when you go through internal changes. Uh, I'm at the point where I tell everyone right now, oh, I'm slowing my growth rate. And they're like, what, three years in? I'm like, yeah, because if I go too fast now, I don't know if I can keep it next year or the year after. I need to like control the ship when I see things that need to be fixed, you know? Um, that's a very great
1: mentality to have.
0: I think so. I just want to learn as well. Like, and I think for me, I, I, I sometimes feel like I didn't plan, like I'm sure you to, to make a company that grows this quickly. And I just wanted to, in a way, like be the beneficiary of learning as much as I can from this company. So selfishly, I'm also like, no, 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 no. I'm not hiring someone now. I'm going to like handle it myself, but I can only do X amount of things myself. So let's say no to this market, or let's say no to this opportunity. Uh, Let's say no to this many end caps because I don't want it yet. Um, and I think it's, I'm proud of myself for doing that, whether it's the right thing, who knows? I think it's, for me, it's the right thing.
1: Yeah. No, uh, I think,
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, at the end of the day, it is a combination of that. And we said no for many, many years, we still say no. Um, which is a risk and it can be a loss of business at the end of the day though if you don't have the people to manage the growth it's a bigger risk to go somewhere and launch something if it cannot be supported properly so i think i actually think a lot of brands will do that they can expand too wide too fast and then if you don't have the actual the actual support to build it um you know and your sale your it's one thing to sell something in it's another thing to sell it through right so it's, it's a, there's a really big difference between the two and your sell through is more important than your sell in, uh, because then you have to think about replenishment. So I think that that is a big takeaway, um, to, uh, to think about when you were starting to build your business. And so you're absolutely doing the right thing. And yes, recalibration, yes, ups and downs, and, you know, same thing. Like you can say like, a, a you know, a band or something out there, or even you think of like in sports, like a tennis player. For someone to be number one all the time and then where they're not, you know, they're looked. oh, they're not anymore. They're not number one. And it's like, well, are they supposed to stay that way the whole time? That's, um, I think it is It is a lot of ups, ups and downs and you just have to keep finding ways to, at this size for us, find ways to make our process more efficient because we're much bigger. When you're much bigger, you move much slower. So you, lots of different layers to go through. So efficiency matters, process, how you scale. Um, and making sure that you're still always relevant, right? Because we're not the new shiny brand now. We're already 12, yeah, 13 years old.
0: 13 years old. And I love the word recalibration. I think that's the perfect way to say it. So um, on this note, I think um, it's now time to go to fire on questions. But before I do, I do have the infamous desert island situation. So you know the deal. You're coming on a founder beauty retreat, but you can only bring one Ilia product. Uh, and yeah, let's assume it's going to be sunny. What are you going to bring on this island?
1: Oh my goodness. It hasn't launched yet. But in the meantime, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I would bring, bring Skintin because then I have, skin I've got tin, my SPF yeah. and I do not want to burn my face. That's a bad thing to do when you're a woman. Yeah. So
0: I well I'll allow you to smuggle in a tester of your newness next year. Then you can okay. have, both, yeah, that 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 you. that that you can have. Um, well, my now fire round questions so four questions. The first question is, what's another beauty brand in any vertical that you're currently loving right now?
1: Um, I have been using from Sunday Riley their vitamin C, which mm. I do like. There's also another brand. Oh, I know you beauty. You beauty oh, has. Tina
0: love you beauty yeah
1: yeah you beauty has their resurfacing compound and the super hydrator Uh, my skin is really sensitive to retinol i actually don't even think i can use it many people can i can't but her resurfacing compound i find is gentle enough where i don't get contact dermatitis which is what retinol gives me and helps to really brighten my skin without um, aggravating it
0: Um, my next question is what or where is your happy place
1: my happy place is with my family and my kids, I think uh yeah. going to bed with you have them two, at night two kids? I have two I have... two little oh. girls, and really, like when you take away all the noise of the work and whatever else is going on, uh just being with the family is really my happy place. Going for walks in the woods actually in Vancouver now is my happy place oh
0: it's amazing um, my next question is what is your hidden talent or maybe not so hidden talent
1: i and i don't know i'm trying to think of like something strange i used to be a great barista Ooh,
0: that's cool
1: um i know and i used to do a lot of ashtanga yoga of which i'd love to start oh. doing yoga again but i used to be able to like stand in a bridge and yeah. then come up to standing so it's more like a gymnastics trick i guess and then like yeah. flip back over and go back down so i was somewhat of an acrobat in my 20s When <laughs>
0: when you're in new york next we um because you, you don't live in New York, right? You live in Vancouver, right? I
1: yeah. live in Vancouver, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. But when you're in New York next, um, we should go. Um, uh, my, one of my best friends, Eddie Stern, he's like an Ashtanga yoga Oh, legend. yes. Um, I, he was just with me in London just now. We're actually writing a book together. Um, oh my God, but, amazing. Um, yeah, it's going to be like a guide to mindful business from a yogi and an entrepreneur's perspective. Nice. Um, so it's pretty cool. But um, yeah, we'll do yoga with him and it's amazing. Like, if wow. you not Ashtanga. He's the best.
1: Yeah, I've never, he is. I've never practiced with him, but obviously he's been around forever, even when I was practicing. Yeah. I used to practice yeah. with Hamish Henry in London, actually.
0: Oh, Hamish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, amazing. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll arrange it next time you're in New York and I'm around. Okay. I'll connect okay, you. Nice. Even if um, you're there and I'm not there, you should, you should meet him. Um, nice. um, my last question is if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur, what would Sasha be doing right
1: now? oh, what would Sasha be doing right now? I always think about this. And I think I say this to younger people because I don't think you have to be one thing in life. I think you can be, um, you could be so many things. And for example, like I used to play piano when I was younger. I wonder what would have happened if I never stopped that. Would I have been a pianist? I used to dance. I was a competitive swimmer. so So to me, I didn't go to the Olympics like my brother, but I was on that pathway to to kind of go there, but I wanted to dance also. Like, could I have been, I I much preferred dance. So I always think about these choices in life that kind of take you on your journey, even including the one for Ilya. But if I wasn't doing this right now, um, I would have loved to have lived in Paris and been like a dance choreographer. I don't know why. I just think it's like, there's something like with the music, like marrying the music that I just kind of spoke about with, the movement of an art that I have such appreciation for. I think it's, um, I think it's like something I daydream about. If I wasn't doing what I'm doing, what would that be like? So, yeah, oh, I don't know why well, it's keep uh, that
0: keep that dream alive. <laughs> you never know. Um, that's no, why I asked that question, <laughs> but, but, but at least enjoy dance and art when you go to Paris. I mean, there's a yeah, that's the one thing. Um, it's good to. Uh, to have those um we don't have to always live through our own experience we can enjoy other people doing it too i guess totally so one thing yeah um well sasha it's been such a pleasure having you on the pod um for everyone that wants to continue following either yourself if you have a public social media you want to share but also um the brand itself like what are the handles
1: for mine which is barely active you might see some stories here and there i'm sasha plapsic so it's just my name but i don't post often my team wants me to but i'm busy with my kids
0: <laughs> but you will be next year so follow because that's what yeah. your team's going to make you i'm <laughs> sure
1: <laughs> and then um ilia beauty it's just the handle at okay. ilia beauty which you'll be able to see everything there a lot of our recent launches and Different people using the product,
0: and Ilia is available in in most places that you could expect beauty brands to be. But like Sephora is, I guess, is a go to Ilia um dot um and uh, I'll put a link anyway of all the main places and all the social handles in the bio. Thank you. So you can just tap straight away. But Sasha, um, I guess I look forward to our next yoga session uh, with Eddie. Namaste. Namaste. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.